That's Chuck Marone and Aaron Brown. You're listening to Dig Deep on KEXE, KBXE. Aaron, I wonder if you want to weigh in on that, how to have a conversation or what this has meant to you personally. Well, very much I see it like Chuck. I've had to teach myself, and I think part of this is just growing up and being a mature person and a better person. There's a line in Angel from Montgomery where the narrator is talking. uh, She's a housewife looking back on her life, and her old man's just another child that's grown old. And I think there's a lot of children that grow old in our society. They they never grow or, or change much from when they were 20-ish, and they get older and their status in the community changes. But I think one of the nice things about being human, and I, of course, I teach communication. And so I, this is part of my business model, I guess, is the notion that we can get better at this and we can get better at understanding other people. And then, in fact, on some level, as a human being, it is our job to grow to understand our community and to serve our community to the best of our abilities. And that means in the case of politics or government, that invariably, inevitably, there will be differences. There is no natural state where everybody agrees on everything. It just is not possible. That in that process, you could find a way to talk to each other in a way that is productive rather than destructive. I was thinking when Chuck was talking, I was thinking about how much easier this this notion of listening came to me, maybe it's just because I grew up as the the bookish, nearsighted son of a conservative junkyard manager and a, and a liberal housewife, voracious reader of classical literature in a household in a family that had struggled with things like alcoholism and mental illness. And how as a kid in that condition, you pick up on the little tiniest things that people say to find another way, another way towards a more peaceful outcome. So maybe Chuck, Chuck, when you said maybe it comes more naturally to me, maybe it does as kind of some hard-earned life experience that kind of put me in the position to do that. It doesn't mean I'm not a big old jerk and a fat-headed, you know, full-of-myself guy t- sometimes. I definitely am. But I think if we're trying to get better at this, that we are doing what we're supposed to do as human beings. And I suppose one of my great frustrations that I have is not that there are people who disagree with me in this world. It's that there are people who don't want to get any better and who don't want to talk to each other about about these important issues that we disagree about. I don't care that Chuck and I ever vote for the same candidate. I mean, I'd love it if you voted for my candidate, but I don't care if we never do, because I know we have the ability to talk to each other about these things and that while we might not vote in a federal election the same way, we can partner on a program like this, or we can find an area of agreement in our community, a general concept that we can both argue for. And that's just as good, just as useful to society as as us voting the same way on a federal election. That's, I hope, what the spirit of the show, at least for me, that's what the spirit of the show is. It's a show for people who maybe see it that way, that whatever your politics are, you can, and not, I don't mean like meet in the middle, everybody's happy, kumbaya. No, 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 no. That's not what we have or even what we dare suggest. But rather that if we're pushing to improve ourselves, we will find ways and we will find ways that we don't anticipate us finding if, if we won't even talk to each other. You know, what if the perfect solution to healthcare, just to use an example, isn't the one proposed by the major party candidate? Well, there are no real firm proposals of any kind. That's one of the problems. But let's say that the, that the ideal Democratic solution and the ideal Republican solution are, are neither, neither of them are ever going to happen. Maybe there is yet another way 
to come about this. And maybe we could find that by talking to each other rather than, than not. Um, maybe that is the Pollyanna in us in this show, but I'd, I'd like to add just one last thought yeah. on this. I have come to a belief that conservatives and liberals are yin and yang and that really good policy and really good approaches actually are not a compromise between the two. It's not like, I want $3 trillion in spending. I want $1 trillion in spending. Let's compromise on $2 trillion. That, that is worthless compromise politics. A really good package is one where you say, okay, I'm worried from a liberal perspective about the impact this is going to have on people. And is it fair? Is it just? From the conservative perspective, I'm interested in those things to a degree, but I'm also interested in, is this system going to work? Is it going to be financially viable in the future? Are we setting ourselves up for a bigger failure? There are points of, of overlapping consensus, but there's also points of, you know, I think deep insight that both sides have. And the best things we do, we do when those insights are mashed together and actually meet, not in a split the baby kind of compromise, but in something that looks at an issue from a more holistic standpoint. So in doing the slew of candidate interviews, you know, one of the questions I've been asking each candidate is how they think the state of Minnesota has dealt with the pandemic. What are their thoughts? And you can kind of predict how Democrats and Republicans would respond to it. And I was very pleasantly surprised yesterday in listening to the answer uh, from a Republican. He said, you know, it's a hard time. I understand there's no easy answers here. I don't think kind of a blanket approach to shutting things down was the right way to go because it's different in rural areas. And I thought, well, that's fair. That's a fair answer compared to some other answers I've gotten where we need to get rid of walls, we need to do the, you know, go through this whole thing, not acknowledging that this is a worldwide pandemic that no one has dealt with before. But I'm trying to open my mind up that there are going to be to listen more to these kind of conversations and again be Pollyanna and hope that people who are in those districts will listen to conversations and make up their their minds from things like that. But I, I'm trying to lead us, I guess, into the difference now in when we began Dig Deep and where we find ourselves right now. Well, I can start because I think I, I might have suggested this notion, but the, the Lenin quote that Chuck made uh, earlier was apt. Of course, he was, Lenin was describing the famous 10 days that shook the world, the 10 days that turned Russia into the first serious communist power in the world and dramatically changed the next hundred years of, of world history. And it was a series of uh, haphazard events and, and, and strange twists of fate that led to that. And I kind of feel like we're living through maybe not 10 days, but certainly several months of time, uh, whether you're looking back at when, when the COVID pandemic broke across the world, to the political reaction in this country, but not just in this country. You're seeing events in Belarus. You're seeing events in South America that are as dramatic as our, our events, if not more in some cases. It could easily culminate in 10 epoch shifting days. Yeah, there, there could be there could be a dramatic, a dr like the stuff that goes in history books at the first paragraph of a new chapter, that stuff is about to happen or may yet happen in the near future. And that that's kind of what it feels like. And, and the this, I guess the strange sensation 
that I feel is that, for instance, we've been talking a little bit about elections and, and Heidi, you've mentioned interviewing candidates for different offices and how little, with a few exceptions, like the one you mentioned, candidates are talking about specific policies or maybe more importantly, how little voters care uh, about those specific policies versus how much more the either the party label or the you know, orientation with this great culture battle that is happening in our community and in every community around the country. But um, we're watching this culture war of, of the rhetoric you see is an us versus them fatalistic zero-sum outcome where either your candidate's going to win and the world will be saved or your candidate's going to lose and the world will be doomed. And guess what? Everybody believes this, whether they're voting for Donald Trump or Joe Biden or anybody else. That is the paradox we're in where Chuck and I could perhaps stumble upon a formula for state aid that is in fact superior to any conceived in previous history and innovative and sustainable and all of the things that he and I would want such a policy to be. And, and it would be irrelevant to the conversation because the only thing that would matter is that it came, that the, the policy came from my side, not from a collaboration and not from the other side, certainly. So I feel like we're operating in this historic condition and there is no safe harbor in the middle. There is no safe harbor in moderation in times like this. Rather, we are all being asked to be thoughtful and forthright in choosing a direction. And while that will lead to change, I think we'll be surprised to learn that without much engagement on policy and much engagement on issues and much engagement on things, there will be collateral damage in this sort of political debate, no matter what. And that a lot of things, the inability of the two sides, meaning the Republicans and Democrats, uh, both nationally and locally, to talk to each other or to engage will lead to the destruction of something that maybe most of us would have agreed was better to keep, or the preservation of something that maybe most of us would have been glad to reform. So this is what I see. And I, I kind of feel like we're a, a pair of mechanics world-class mechanics that fix elite sports cars. And we've been called to fix the greatest sports car on earth. And we get there and the sports car's on fire. And it's like our little perfect little metric wrenches and everything are irrelevant to this problem right now. We got to put the fire out <laughs> and, and we may be powerless to do so. I don't know. Sorry, that's very, that's very dark. There's this period, well, I'm going to go darker. So okay, good, buckle good. up, buckle <laughs> up, friend. There's this period of time in 1860 after Lincoln is elected where it becomes very clear that something is going to happen. And you see the election, it wasn't clear that Lincoln was going to win. I mean, it was, it was in some ways an upset uh, or certainly like a an upset of the status quo. You can think of it as, you know, throwing a brick through the window to use the recent metaphor of people saying like, we're done with this, like this is going to change and we're going to vote for the, the, the craziest change agent we have. That wound up to be Lincoln. And you have these quotes and I, I think of things I've read from Robert E. Lee where he was basically out serving, I think in California or something like that or out West in a state that wasn't, you know, going to be part of any civil war you know, which was secession, I think was probably what you would have said then, any secession effort, because they weren't 
necessarily planning on what transpired. But these generals like, like Lee, all of a sudden going back to their home states and saying, well, I'm Virginian first and I'm, I'm a U.S. citizen second. And essentially having to make this kind of surreal shift, the quotes are just like, I, I didn't want this. Like, this isn't what I thought anyone should do. Like, I'm just a bit player in this, even though he wound up to be like the major general of the South. He did not want secession. He did not want a civil war. He did not want any of these things to happen. But he was in a sense, as Aaron described, the middle ground, the safe harbor goes away and it's it's being taken away from us. And it, it wasn't taken away by the majority of Americans saying, I want a civil war. It was taken away by some people bombing Fort Sumter and saying, all right, let's get it on. And then the other side's like, well, we can't stand for that. We got to put that down. And then pretty soon things start to like ratchet up and spin out of control. And you've got thousands of troops dying on a field in just what is a mass slaughter that we've never seen on this continent since. You look at events today, and I think the thing that has shifted the most in the last three years is that feeling of powerlessness, like things are out of our control, to me, has ramped up. And we can look at things like Seattle and Portland, which just seem insane to me. And I realize there's people on the ground there saying, oh, it's not bad. There's not much going But the media pieces that I trust, not the right-wing people trying to gin things up and not the left-wing people trying to pretend that nothing's happening, but the the ones that I trust are, are reporting on something that seems to me to be Fort Sumter-ish, like a little bit, like this is crazy. On the other hand, you've got things like the Proud Boys or whoever showing up to the Michigan State House, walking in with AR-15s and, and, and basically like we're taking over this place because we don't like the shutdowns. I think we could have a big, long discussion about shutdowns. They would never have me showing up with AR-15s. You've got, you know, riots in Kenosha where... People are driving from out of state uh, to, you know, defend, and I'm, I'm using air quotes here on our Zoom meeting, you know, defend properties that wind up in gunfights with people. Uh, these are not things that the, the broad swath of America would agree with or would join in with or would, would um, in a sense, sanction. But yet we're being robbed of the safe harbor. We're being robbed of our common Americanism, our common humanity because of the way like these these two different troughs, these two different rivers are splitting and dividing and like carrying us down. And it's almost like you can't stay. You're being forced to pick a river channel. Am I going in this river channel or am I going in this river channel? And they may end up in the same, you know, swamp at the end of the day. They may end up in the same place, but you're going on a vastly different journey where there's a lot of separation between the two and there's gonna be rapids and it's not gonna be fun. And I feel like this is this is what we're being forced into. We're being robbed of options. And when I look at our political structure today, and I, I size up who I think should be president or who I think should be governor or how well I think the governor's doing at his job or who I want to vote for for Senate, um, the, the things that are urgent to me are, are you stripping us of our safe harbor or are you trying to shore it up and build it up? That, that's to me like the urgency right now, because as just a regular person without political power, without like a stake in the system, I feel like I'm having all my options removed. And the only ones left are nasty, bad options that I don't want.